Good morning. So good to see everyone here, and uh, also, once again, thank you for joining us online. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here, and uh, just so thankful that you are here today. So last week, we had some special guests, if you were with us, if you recall, we had uh, some guests from Fulham Baptist Church in Battle Creek, a Burmese congregation, and we talked about the persecuted church. And so I want to continue to remind you and encourage you to pray uh, for persecution, those who are persecuted all around the world. It's something like one out of every eight uh, Christians in the world have significant persecution brought against them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I am talking about risking life for following Jesus. And so we want to continue to pray for them. And I just uh, am so thankful for the warm welcome so many of you gave and extended last week. Uh, they definitely felt the love from the church. So thank you for, for that part and uh, your active participation. This last week, we... Uh, as a country, we paused and honored individuals who had served our country, and we wanted to take a moment here today uh, to do that same thing, and that's uh, for Veterans Day. I drove by the fountain uh, and uh, noticed a gathering at the fountain here in town, and I know other activities took place around the, the various communities here. And, uh, and so this morning, what I wanted to ask is that if you have served uh, in any of the branches of the military uh, would you please stand so that we can just uh, take a moment and honor you? And please remain standing as you stand. So. And if you don't mind, if you remain standing, um, if you wouldn't mind so much, I'm putting on the spot big time right here, right? is sharing your name um, and the branch you served and then uh, where uh, you're stationed or served. Uh, that would be an honor for us. Thanks for letting me speak. Uh, my name is Daniel Knobloch. I served with the uh, First Marine Air Wing, uh, Iwakuni, Japan, as a general medical officer for the United States Navy. was active duty overseas from 90, gosh, 2 to 95, and uh, enjoyed every, every moment of that experience. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, good morning. My name is Scott McLean. I was serving with the 8th Infantry Division in Germany. Excellent. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> morning. Nick Popovitz. I was 10th Mountain Division, Afghanistan. All right. Thank you very much. So thankful for all of you for your service and uh, just the moment we can uh, take to, to pause and I encourage you to be thankful to uh, just to share uh, your gratitude uh, as this week goes on too. So we are continuing on in our ser series, Who's Your One? This is our, I believe, our fourth week in it. Uh, I've lost track there for the moment. We have one more uh, message coming next week. And just out of curiosity, how many of you know what I'm speaking on today? All right, so a few of you, okay. All right, how many of you um, uh, know that it's, it's hell I'm speaking on today? Yeah, yeah, right, fun. How many of you wish you went to another church this morning? <laughs> so we are in our, uh, our fourth, series, our fourth uh, week, and uh, the title of the message is A Story of Hell. Now, next week, Nick is going to be speaking, and the title of his message is It's a Wonderful Life. So just hold on today, make it through today, and then get to next week. It'll be a wonderful life, all right? 
So, uh, so we go from some drastic realities there. But we are going to be spending some time uh, talking about what Jesus had to say about hell. And I've been in the lead role for about five years now, and I have referenced hell. I have alluded to it. I've never given a full message on hell, and I don't want to today either. It's one of those things where I thought about this and, 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 and saw this coming as we were talking in this series. I'm like, oh, I don't want to speak on this. I don't even want to believe in hell, but it's not about my wants. It's about what is in Scripture, what Jesus taught, and not only the doctrine of hell, which is very deep and very broad, and there's a lot of conversation, but really what we want to talk about today is, is the, the reality of it, and that we're not talking about just doctrine, we're talking about destiny. We're talking about the eternal reality beyond the life we know now of human beings. And about as sober as it is here, it's going to get a little more sober as we continue on. At the end of last service, I just felt this like, <sighs> but it is a sobering reality. And the reality is, is we probably don't talk about it enough because we want to just push it aside, ignore, pretend like it's not a reality, um, just pretend that it's outdated. Uh, but today, what I want to do is talk about what Jesus had to say about it. But as I was thinking about the topic today, I was thinking about earlier this spring, our family went down to Kentucky and uh, we went to Mammoth Cave National Park and went uh, hiking and explored the caves there. It was just a, a great time to be together outdoors. One day we went for a drive and Joanna and I, we knew where we were going, but our kids did not. And so we're driving through um, the countryside there and just beautiful wooded area. And uh, kids are like, where are we going? I'm not just going for a drive. And as we uh, got to the certain part, point, I pointed out a sign on the side of the road which said, road ends in water one mile ahead. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Let's keep going. And the kids are like, what? And so we got a little bit closer, and there's another sign, and um, the nervousness in the car is intensifying. And they're like, well, we can't keep driving. The road ends in the water. And we turned the corner, and we came to a view uh, like this. And they're like, what? It really ends in the water. <laughs> As they saw the signs and the gate, and then they saw the ferry. They're like, oh, there's a ferry there. That's how we're getting across. And so I thought about the drive here to the Green River and the Green River Ferry. I thought about the signs that warned me along the way, warned us. Uh, further up here, there were gates that they closed at some point, and then the ferry going back and forth. Is that the sign, the gates, the ferry were there to prevent me from driving my car in the river, to prevent the death and the destruction that would come from me driving my car into the river. Jesus, in Scripture, he speaks of heaven. But for every time he spoke of heaven, there were three other times that he spoke of hell. In fact, Jesus, more than any other person in Scripture, spoke of hell. And I think what Jesus is doing in scripture, the God of love, love embodied, one who gave himself for all of us, for all of humanity, is giving warning, saying that this is a reality that we all need to avoid. So what we do is we treat heaven as the default of like, if I'm just good enough and I don't mess up enough, 
if I just try to love some people and go to church and, and do some things like that, then like my default is heaven. But that's nowhere in scripture. That our default is eternity separated from God, is hell. And that's sobering because we don't want to think about that. And we don't want to think about that for anyone else either. But Jesus was very intentional about warning signs, symbols, direction. And I think of what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it were to lay in my power. I'm in the same boat. Is that I wish we could just eliminate this, wish that it wasn't something that was real, that, okay, that, you know, it just didn't need to be addressed. But we need to talk about this. And when I say the word hell, you have all sorts of images and teachings and doctrine and books you've read, all these different images that you have when it comes to this topic. And I think of uh, my childhood. I think my first real introduction to this was a play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Has anyone ever seen that? It terrified me. And we went to this church. I'm a little kid. And there they are. There's this scene unfolding with a couple. And they die. And then all of a sudden, they show up at the gates of heaven. And they're like, nope, you're going to hell. And all of a sudden, these demons run out, grab them, and take them to hell. And as an elementary student, I'm like, uh, what just happened? It was terrifying. But I think that was the point of that play. And there's an element, not being motivated by fear, but how Jesus paints a picture to motivate by love. And I hope that we have this reality that unfolds as we walk through Scripture, as Jesus paints this picture, is that he's warning us, saying, don't go there. But if you go that direction, that is your choice. But I'm giving you another option. I'm giving you another way, another possibility, if you choose that. Now, in Jesus' day in first century Judaism, hell was, was a, a topic that many were speaking of. That's why Jesus commented as he did. In first century Judaism, it was seen as a place to avoid at all costs, a place of punishment after judgment. Some said it was a place of fire and darkness where people lament. Some said it was a place of annihilation, while others said it was a place of never-ending punishment. And then beyond Jesus and beyond the scriptural writings origin in the late hundreds, he said, no, 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 hell is a place where souls of the wicked are purified and they ultimately they find their way back to God. And he believed that everyone, including Satan, would eventually be redeemed and reunited with God. Irenaeus of Lyons, uh, who wrote about the same time, said that, no, 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 it's annihilationism. Is that the soul is, is inherently immortal. It's not inherently immortal. Is that eternity is bestowed upon those through Christ, but the wicked are just left to fade from existence. Augustine, a couple hundred years later, he said hell's primary purpose was to satisfy the demands of justice. And Augustine, he believed in a literal lake of fire and also eternal conscious torment. Augustine and also Dante, who wrote about a thousand years later, have probably most impacted our view of hell. Augustine, he wrote, or not Augustine, Dante, he wrote the Inferno and he said hell is under the earth with levels of suffering 
And if you read the Inferno, you find that people are bitten by snakes and tormented by beasts and showered with icy rain and trapped in rivers of blood and pools of excrement, which apparently John had uh, dealt with this week as, as well. He had a little glimpse of that. C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book in the early 1900s titled The Great Divorce, which is not a good book to leave sitting out and your wife define, which mine did. It's not about like divorce from marriage. But he wrote this book called The Great Divorce. It was about a bus ride through hell. And what the character experienced on this bus ride was darkness and emptiness and separation from God and separation from other human beings. It was empty. ACDC, they wrote a few songs and considered hell a party, right? In the early 2000s, there was a pretty prevalent conversation going on is that we're actually living in hell right now because of economic injustice, because of genocide, because of all the, the things going against humanity in such a major way that we're actually experiencing hell. Or maybe, maybe like many people, in fact, a large majority of people just, they don't believe in hell. They don't believe that it's a real place, that it's real at all. Both Christians and non-Christians have embraced that there is no hell. Because how do you reconcile a loving God with hell? How do you, how do you have this archaic thought? This is offensive. It's hard to see God in this manner, and it just makes us uneasy, so we just write it off just saying it's not a real thing. It's not a real place. And some have even said, speaking of hell, like I'm doing right now, pushes non-Christians and Christians away from God. So you shouldn't even speak on hell. And like I mentioned, in full transparency, is I don't want to speak on hell. But it's too important for us to ignore. It's too important of the reality of when we talk about our one, we're not just talking about being their friend and being kind to them, and then hopefully they'll come to church. We want to impact eternal destiny. A life with God or a life apart from God. So let's look at scripture. Let's turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to start there. We're going to look at a couple different passages. And we are going to skim the surface today. So I encourage you to write these down and go back and study them. There's plenty other passages, too, that Jesus speaks of. But I want you to be thinking, again, of the warning, what Jesus is doing in these passages. So Luke chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 19. It says this, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, 
Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So a few observations that we can find from this story of hell that Jesus tells. First, in verse 22, there's something that happens after this life. There's death and then there's life after it. We see that there is an eternal reality beyond life here and death. But there's two different realities that Jesus paints. The first one is one that the rich man experiences, one of torment and agony. We see that in verse 23 and 24. And there's a reference to fire there. While Lazarus experienced one of comfort and peace, and while he experienced that, the rich man, we see in verse 26, is experiencing isolation and separation. He's alone there. He's also experiencing fear and sadness. So many people have, have either been serious or joked about hell being a party. Like I mentioned earlier some of the songs. It's like, well, I'm gonna go to hell because all my buddies will be there. We see this here, is that he does not want his brothers there. It's like, whatever it takes, tell them. They need to know not to come here. He also experienced something else. He experienced regret. And this is a prevalent thought that we see in Jesus' teaching, is regret. I'm going to come back to this in a few moments. Let's flip back to Luke chapter 13, another passage that Jesus speaks to. Luke chapter 13, verse 22. It says this, it says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? This question was asked in Jesus' day, just as it's being asked today. Now, I mentioned many different views on hell. But again, one of the prevalent belief systems that are out there that has even infiltrated the church is universalism. Is that in the end, everyone will end up with God. All paths, Jesus being one, will land people in heaven. It's the same question when people talk about universalism and all the different um, elements of it. It's that same question, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Because didn't scripture say that, that God desires that no one would perish? Doesn't God love everyone? Would God really do that? Are only a few people going to be saved? And in short, Jesus says this. He says, yes. But then he, expl he explains it this way. He said to them, and in verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. 
Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. References this narrow door that will be closed. And whether it be from Jesus' return or my death, your death, that door closes. And Jesus is saying here, there is a time that comes where that door closes. And people are out there knocking, going like, but, but I was a good person. I heard about you. I, I tried, to, tried to do some of the things that you did. I went to church. It's like, I don't know you. I don't have that relationship with you. You, you didn't enter when you were invited. And this is the result in verse 28, right after verse 27 here. It says this, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. I mentioned regret. This gnashing of teeth is like this. Oh, oh man. I mean, when you've been let down or you've made a choice or something's happened or there's been this disappointment, there is gnashing of teeth of this like, oh, no. This is the result. I missed out. Regret. Turn back to the gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. This is again a longer parable, which I encourage you to read. I'm just gonna grab a couple verses from it as we continue to look at regret. Matthew chapter 13, verse 30 says this. Jesus is illustrating this parable with weeds that are growing and wheat, illustrating eternity. Verse 30 says this. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. There's this separation that's happening. Skip ahead to verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Do it now. Pay attention now. Skip ahead to verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's regret. And what we see in these previous passages, and we're going to see in this next passage, is separation. There's a separation that's happening that Jesus is talking about. Turn to Matthew 25. This is uh, quite possibly the most disturbing passage in all of Scripture. Because we have walked through life just saying, if I pray a prayer, I'm good. If I pray a prayer, 
checked my ticket, I'm going to heaven. What Jesus teaches here is it demands a following. And the following isn't what you would think of religious things. It is highly Christ-like what we're going to read about. But how he separates out really throws a lot of churchy type things going like, huh, I thought I checked this. Pay attention to this. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. We're like, that's, that's the group to be in, right? And then he defines it this way. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. More than just praying that prayer. See, we believe, we confess, we're forgiven of our sin, but it's not a check mark, I'm going to heaven, hurry up, Jesus, come get me. It's a surrender of life. It is a giving of life away, those who are in need. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It just gets heavier. I warned you about this, right? This is Jesus teaching this. This is not me making this up. This is Jesus describing, warning, putting up signs. Here's a gate. See, I think of what Jesus just taught. Would you put this list up, please? Thanks, Johnny. This is what Jesus just talked about. Torment, agony, isolation, separation, fear, sadness, regret, punishment. Sounds like hell to me. Sounds horrible. Jesus taught this as a warning. Avoid this reality. Look again at verse 41. Because we start asking ourselves questions of like, 
why, why, why is there hell? Why is this the way it is? Why did, why did he create hell for people? I don't get this. Let's look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for all the bad people. Nope. For the devil and his angels. The eternal fire, hell, was not prepared for humanity. It's for the devil and his angels. And then we ask this question of like, but, but how, how can a good and loving God send someone to hell? I mean, the short answer is he doesn't. We choose it. Now, we don't actively choose it, but we choose a path apart from God. This is what scripture teaches. This is what Jesus teaches is there's a path following Jesus and there's a path where we reject Jesus. We choose it. Pastor J.D. Greer, he, he said this. This is a little bit longer, but it paints a picture of what we're talking about. He says, eliminating hell actually makes for a very narrow view of the love of God. Imagine that a child molester comes to our church and I said to him, bro, we love you and accept you. Please work in our kids' ministry. That isn't loving. Or if it is, it's very loving in a narrow and unhealthy way. How we feel about child molesters is in a small way how God feels about our sin. Good works in an overall posture of rebellion are disgusting to him. Just like it would be for us to watch a child molester tip a bellhop on his way to molest our children. We simply do not understand the sinfulness of sin, as the Puritans used to say. For sinful humans to enter into God's presence would be like a tissue paper touching the surface of the sun. If God let us into heaven as we are, we'd turn heaven into the mess the world is in. All the injustice in the world is a result of our sin. We love the wrong. We reject God's authority, which amounts to cosmic treason. We are idolaters who put ourselves in the center, not God. Sin is like a cancer, eating out the insides of the human race. No patient wants a doctor who is tolerant of their cancer. We want a doctor who hates it. Neither can God lovingly accept us in our sinful condition. He loves us too much to allow things that will destroy us to thrive. But he also loves his glory too much to allow us to trample on it. In our celebration of God's love, we must never forget the thunderbolt of his glory. See, when we think of the horror of hell and what Jesus warned us against, we understand the vast love of God, what Jesus went to the cross for. It gives us a whole new perspective and a reminder of the depth of what sin results in, where we were all heading before we encountered Jesus and we surrendered to Jesus. Paul taught this in 2 Corinthians. He said, God made him, being Jesus, who had no sin for us, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, our sin is condemning us to eternity apart from God. But he loved us so much that he gave us Jesus 
to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. See, when we receive Jesus, when we receive the forgiveness of sin, it's like God is looking at me and puts Jesus right in front of me. Is that God looks through Jesus's righteousness because all my sin is put on Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to take it. Not because I'm righteous, not because I'm good, not because I'm right, but because of Jesus. John 3, 16, not forgetting 17 is, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, so key, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come going like, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Jesus came with compassion and love and laid his life down, not condemning the world, but saving the world. See, I deserve punishment for my sin. You deserve punishment for your sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation we receive it with gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. See, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus gave us a path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is saying, enter through me the narrow door. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, said this, he said, we implore you on Christ's behalf, implore, like pleading, saying, come on, on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It's today. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Whether you're here or whether you're at home, today is the day of salvation. We implore you, why wait? Why risk it? See, we choose eternity with God or we choose eternity apart from God. We choose following Jesus or we choose rebelling against Jesus. In Revelation, the final book that is recorded in Scripture here, the very end, John is, John is saying, it's been paid for. Jesus has paid for your sin. Revelation 22, verse 17 says this. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, to take it. Come to Jesus. Respond to the message of Jesus, to the invitation of Jesus. So I ask you, have you responded to the invitation of Jesus? Have you confessed your sin, that you're a sinner? And have you received the forgiveness of Jesus? And are you walking and living in that forgiveness? There's two answers. It's either yes or no. There's no, I hope so, maybe, we'll see how it works out. It's either yes or no. I've received the forgiveness of Jesus and I walk in it, or I haven't. And I love in 1 John, he says this, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, 
so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know, not hope or wish or any other word, you may know that you have eternal life. You should be able to walk out of here today being like, yep, I have eternal life. Nope, I do not have eternal life. I stood by a number of bedsides of people who are dying. As I prepared this message this week, I thought a lot about the bedsides that I stood by in the past. And last night I stood by another one. It was terrible. I felt the pain for the family, but the thing that I kept going back to and reminding the family of this person right here knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He told me a week ago. I knew it before then, but he told me a week ago. He had confessed his sin. He was right with God. And he'd walked with Jesus for years. And so as I prayed with the family and, and prayed with him, just kept reminding him of the promises of Jesus. There's an assurance Family knows where he's at this morning. That's an amazing blessing, not only obviously for him, but for the family. And the last thing I said, is I said, we will talk again. We will talk again, and I fully believe that. That in eternity, someday, we will talk again. What about you? I pray that's the same for you. Let's pray. Jesus, you are calling us to yourself. Like Paul said, he implores us to be reconciled with Christ. I just feel that in the depth of who I am. For whether that's for one person here or 10 or 15, I don't know. Just encourage you to surrender your life, to confess your sin today. Not for me, but for the glory of God, for you. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for the promise of eternity that you have, have granted for those who believe in you, who confess you as their Lord and Savior, or who put their trust in you. I pray for anyone here today, that just in this moment, that they would, that they would confess you as their Savior, that in their own words, they would Confess that they're a sinner. Confess that they have just lived in their sin apart from you. And then again, in their own words, it's just a heart thing that, that if this is you, that you would thank Jesus for his death on the cross, that he took all that sin, all that garbage, all that brokenness, he took it upon himself to forgive you. Just receive the forgiveness of Jesus right now. And that you would tell, you would tell the Lord that you believe in Jesus and that you confess him as your savior. That you want to follow after him as your Lord.
thank him for that forgiveness. Scripture teaches that the angels in heaven rejoice when one comes to know the Lord and one surrenders their life. And for each one of us here who have confessed you as Lord, who believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that God, you would just renew our mind and our heart and our purpose as followers of you. Lord, that we'd be even more intentional with our ones, those in the world around us. That we would just be fervent in prayer. We would be intentional in our relationships. That ultimately, that these men, women, teenagers, children would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We'll confess you. So Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that it mattered enough for you to teach. God, as a demonstration of your love for us. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for you, for the gospel, for the good news of what it is. We pray this in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we put this tree up here. And, uh, and I want to pause eh, most weeks. And give an opportunity, there's bulbs up there. And what we want to do is we want to turn bulbs. For anyone that has renewed their relationship with Christ, is not walking with Jesus, but is now walking with Jesus, that you've just renewed your relationship, you've recommitted. And also those, for the first time, have said yes to Jesus. So maybe that was today, or maybe that was another day. Um, is there anyone here today that wants to turn a bulb? I'm not going to make you say anything unless you want to. Does anyone want to go up there and turn a bulb? Publicly confessing a recommitment to Christ or a salvation? And come forward, turn a bulb. You want to say anything? No, thank you. All right, what's your name? Joshua, good to meet you, brother. Do you recommit to Christ or first time commitment? Recommitment to Christ? All right, this is Joshua. So, Joshua is an act of faith and a recommitment to following Jesus Christ. Um, this is just a symbolic act, a public proclamation of you walking with Jesus. And just pray that the Lord would bless you in this. So go ahead and turn any of the bulbs that you like and just to the right. There we go. Blessings. Joshua, thanks for your boldness. Appreciate it. Anyone else? First time commitment or recommitment to Christ? She just want to publicly do that? All right. That tree will be there next week, too. All right. Um, let me say a word of blessing and prayer, and uh, John's going to come share a couple uh, brief announcements here. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, Lord, I know you're at work in many, many, many different ways, and uh, we're so grateful. Lord, thanks for Joshua. God, thank you for him and his recommitment to you. Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing upon him, just a richness in his life as he seeks to follow after you. Lord, that you surround him with, uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, God, thank you for the faith in Jesus uh, that he has. And uh, Lord, for all of us who call you our Lord and our Savior, God, we thank you for the assurance of salvation. 
that we can walk out of here knowing without a shadow of a doubt, God, where you've called us to and who you've called us to. So Lord, may you use us, send us, and direct us to our ones. And uh, we're so grateful. We pray this in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. Amen.